I'm not sure why you've come here this evening. <clears throat> I don't know. I know. I am aware that some of you have maybe kind of plugged in and connected into Jackson, my journey, and Kiara's story over the last little while. And uh, we're just so grateful that you've come just to hear something of what's in me. And um, I encourage you to come back next week because the main dollar will be speaking. That's my wife. But I'm not sure what you think of poetry. So I wasn't a big poetry guy, and then I met my wife, Jackson. I had to learn to love it very quickly, as I did ballet. And so I've acquired two new tastes. But uh, there is a, a poem that goes like this. I love the Lord, for He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because He turned His ear to me, I will call on Him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. Or in the message translation, it says, God takes the side of the helpless. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That was written many centuries ago. And as I have gone through what I've gone through, uh, I could not think of words that so aptly describe my situation at present. This was Psalm 116, written by a psalmist as Israel was being led out of captivity from Egypt. But that aside, I kind of was thinking, if these words were true many centuries ago, and they're true today, God better be careful, because He's going to develop a reputation for rescuing people. He's going to develop a reputation for being merciful. He's going to develop a reputation of overcoming death. He's going to develop a reputation of bringing peace to weary souls. He's going to develop a reputation of intervening with the helpless. Because many centuries ago it was true. And today there are no greater words that I can speak than Psalm 116. We've all come here many different reasons. I'm not sure what yours is, but context is everything. For those of you that know me, I'm a, I'm a big believer in setting a context, aligning expectations, because, um, because the, way we, the way we view things is determined by the life that we live. So the way we view our country, our government is determined by our context. The way we view our work environment is determined by our personal context. The way we view our social relationships is by our context. The way we view church is by context. And so just by silly example of how important context is, uh, have any of you had a hospital meal? Some of you have had a hospital meal before. So hospital meals have reputations. And um, they're not quite the same reputation as what the chef's table in Amschlange has. It's not quite served on crockery that is of the finest edition. You know, something. there's something... Uh, about that blue plastic Tupperware that has been sitting there for four hours and then stuck in the microwave about an hour earlier. And by the time it gets to you, it's tried to have just a semblance of the food and some kind of eating uh, heat. 
but hospital meals have a reputation, and yet context determines how we receive that, because some of you may have seen, I posted a photo, uh, just I was, I was taken aback the other day, I, I, I'm not normally there for Kiara's dinner time, I'm normally at home with the rest of the kids and Jax is there, but I had the opportunity just to have dinner with Kiara, and uh, there we sat on the hospital bed uh, across the way of one of those little wooden things that slide in over your bed, uh, what's it called? A trolley, and uh, with two magnificently positioned blue plastic things that we took off, and there before us lay five-star chicken and rice, and uh, I tell you, I could not have chosen a better restaurant to have a daddy and daughter date, because context is everything. The context of why you're sitting here is going to determine how you receive the message I'm going to preach tonight. And so I just want to align expectations just a little bit. Whatever reason you're sitting here, the one thing we all have in common is that we're here and we're going to hear me preach. And so that alone should determine enough of the context to say, you've made the time to receive it. So can you just open your hearts to just receive the word of God? Allow Him to minister to you. Allow Him to ask questions of you. Allow your faith to be inspired, encouraged, maybe challenged. Just allow that. Because then I think we will have done what God intended for tonight. We will, we will do Him proud if we can just do that. So can we pray together? Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it comes to teach us. It comes to encourage us. It comes to inspire us. It comes to, to show us who you are. It comes to reveal it. Reveal yourself to us. But this is my prayer, that as we, as we approach your word, as we approach the, the story I'm going to read and, and try and make application for our lives, our, our prayer is that we wouldn't walk out with a greater theology. Our prayer, my prayer is that we would encounter you, Jesus, the living God. Encounters with Jesus changes lives. And my prayer is that every single person in this room who has positioned themselves to hear the word of the Lord, that we would encounter you, Jesus. We would encounter you. So, Spirit of God, would you do what only you can do? Amen. So, we're, uh, we're in week two of a series called Encounters with Jesus, and uh, and really, I mean, we had a fancy plan. I, we enter into every year with some kind of strategy and some kind of plan. Most of you know that next weekend was going to be our vision weekend, which we put on hold just because of circumstances and where we are. And uh, this community, uh, and by this community, I'm not just referring to Anthem, although majority of people in this room are Anthem, uh, people of Anthem, but, but this community, the city of Durban, has, has witnessed a miracle. And no matter how far or close you've been into that story, we, we've seen a miracle, we've seen... Life come to death, overcome death. And, uh, and there's been an encounter with Jesus. And so we just felt that we just wanted to preach d d different encounters that we read from the, the Scriptures to keep inspiring us to seek Jesus. That we would keep wanting to touch Him, not just be around Him, but actually touch Him. Take hold of Jesus. There's too many theoretical Christians today that know much about Him, but don't know Him. And so I trust that this story will help us take another step towards Jesus. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. 
When they came to the other disciples, that's Jesus, James, Peter, and John. They've been up the mountain. There's been this transfiguration moment where Jesus has revealed himself as God to Peter, James, and John. Imagine being one of the other nine disciples. They were left out of that trip up the mountain. Uh, That wouldn't have been so cool to be on the outside, not the inside. But that's where the story picks up. When they came down to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything... Take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. We're going to end it just there. I know it goes a little bit further on the screen, but we will end it there. They're kind of a, as I was going through this passage and this encounter with Jesus, who this dad and this boy had, this, this boy that needed to be set free, and this dad who was desperate to see uh, life come into his boy. Uh, this encounter has kind of spoken to me, and I'm going to speak through a couple of things that certainly I've gone through in the last month. But uh, I've tried to put it into four things that we can take away. I I feel like sometimes we can preach here and we can have a ministry moment and uh, some of us, because of our headspace, might not be able to take hold of it. But uh, I want us to be able to walk away from here and be able to take these things and kind of go, actually, God, can can you help me? I want to process these things a little bit more. I want to talk around them. So I've put them into four things. Is that all right? And uh, so one of the things we see here is Jesus comes down. He's just revealed himself as God to Peter, James, and John. And so you can imagine Peter, James, and John coming down. We've just seen God. And they encounter the other disciples who are busy having an argument with the teachers of the law, with the Pharisees. There's a whole big argument going. And Jesus comes, and then it says, and people were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to Jesus. And so basically the first point is this, that actually they moved from there to here, or they moved from where they were to where Jesus was. See, all of us want to have an encounter with Jesus All of us want Jesus to stop what he's doing to come to us. But how many of us are prepared to stop what we're doing to go to him? They were busy arguing. 
Friends, I want to tell you this. My, my, if you want an encounter with Jesus, some of us are so busy having arguments. The church should be this. Or I think this of God. Or I think you should be doing that. And or, why couldn't we heal this person? Why did God heal Kiara and not Mike Eltringham who planted the Rock Church? Why did he die and Kiara live? Why are we having arguments, arguments, arguments? Jesus is walking past. And we're not overwhelmed with wonder because we're so busy with theology. We're so busy with trying to grasp who this Jesus is as opposed to recognizing Him, interrupting our lives, and running towards Him. Friends, if you just want a little caption, like the the first thing is, are you here or are you there? Here or there? Here or there? Because I think sometimes we have to be there instead of here. Sometimes we have to be there instead of here. Are you prepared to interrupt your lives? It's about positioning, friends. I, many of you have, have kind of followed the story, but the hospital was amazing. On Christmas Day, it's estimated that 300 people gave up Christmas lunch to come to be at the hospital in that moment. They went to their church services. Church services around the country interrupted their services and they prayed. Who are we? Jackie and me, who's Kiara? She's not the first child to have an accident. She's not the first child to be lying on death's door. And yet somehow, somehow, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are praying all around the world in that moment. And 300 come to the hospital leaving Christmas turkey on the table. The next day, it's estimated there were 400 people at the hospital. People giving up their holidays, not going on holiday, what they had planned to be at the hospital. Hospital management come to me and they say, Richard, we can't have this. I'm like, I'm so sorry, I didn't ask for it. I'll I'll send out a message and and I'll ask people to go away. She goes, no, no, it has been unbelievable. Would you mind if we dedicated a ward to you? We will put the people that are supposed to be in that ward into other wards, but can we give you a whole ward? Why? Why? Why, why did we receive that benefit? And as I asked people who were giving up their holidays and not traveling, who were, who were coming towards the pain, like blood rushes towards the pain, not away from the pain, they all said the same thing, because you would do it for me. Which is both humbling and very overwhelming, because honestly, I'm not sure that I would. But I've learned a thing or two. People have taught me in this moment. And then more than that, there's a story that I'm reminded of in John chapter 4. Jesus is tired and he's hungry. He's been ministering and he says to his disciples, I just need a break from people. Have you ever felt like you just need a break from people? We've been overwhelmed and we have loved the support, but please don't hug me. I love your support, but I'm done with hugs. And as he was overwhelmed, he just, he went on a walk and he said, disciples, actually, I'm, I'm almost a little bit tired of you. Can you just go and get me some food? I just have a moment at the well by myself and a woman comes and he meets the Samaritan woman at the well and he encounters her and, and then she goes off and a whole city gets saved, a whole town gets saved. The disciples come back and say, here, Jesus, here's all your food. And he says, hey, I'm not hungry. Like, what just happened? And Jesus says, I've got food that you know nothing about. Here's the deal, friends. 
When we go there where Jesus is, when we walk to where Jesus is and what he's doing, there is sustenance that we know nothing about until we experience it. There is the grace. There is the rest. There is the peace to our soul. There is all of that stuff that happens in the presence of God. So many of us are so busy arguing about the cost of things that we don't understand the worth of being with Jesus. And so really, I just want to say to you tonight, if you want to encounter Jesus, be where he is. Don't always call him to you. Look what he's doing. I'm not saying this because, like, because we wanting this thing. We, we didn't ask for this. And to be totally honest, I wouldn't have chosen to have gone through this. But God has chosen to bring his and reveal his glory through this. If you want to be part of where God is and what he's doing in this moment at this time, it's with Kiara. And the church is in the city. So get involved in the churches in the city because he's opening, he's, he's lowering barriers between church pastors. And he's going to do something magnificent. And if you don't go there and you remain here in the arguments of what's going on, like the Pharisees were arguing with the disciples why they couldn't heal this boy, we're going to miss what God is doing. So go there where Jesus is and you'll encounter him. And you can receive his work in the miraculous. The second thing we see is that. So here or there, you got that. Number two is this. The dad is desperate. And I can picture him coming to Jesus. And Jesus says, what are you arguing about? And the disciples probably just grinning with mouthful of teeth because they don't want to answer him because he, they, they know he's going to just tell them how silly they've been. And this dad says, actually, I brought my boy to be healed and they couldn't heal him. And he says, if you can do anything. And Jesus says, if I can do anything. If I can. Everything is possible for those who believe. And he says, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Second thing, you want to encounter Jesus, friends. I want to tell you, you need to live in a position of belief, not unbelief. Live in a position of belief, not unbelief. And I want to be very careful here. Because the man, I, what I love about what, this, what Jesus teaches us here. It's okay to have a belief deficit. It's okay to have a belief deficit. What's not okay is to put your unbelief on who God is. That's not okay. You can have unbelief, but don't determine that that's who God is because you're viewing Him through your context and lens. This man lived in a position of belief even though there was a belief deficit. Friends, we have to own up to our belief deficit. I, I've got to admit, I, I said to Craig, I met Craig as he walked through the door, I said, actually, what, what's, what's taken place is my theology has become practice and I realized that something of my deficit, that uh, I, I believe that God can raise the dead. I believe that theoretically. I believe that theologically. I read the scriptures. I, I see this. Now I'm standing on a day on the 26th of December where we called in to say goodbye to our daughter because she's not going to make it because everything's gone haywire in her brain. And I'm tested. Does my belief live up to my theology? Does my practice live up to my theology? I do want to say that I was always completely at peace that God did, would determine the outcome. Just That's a little personal thing. That's not really my point for tonight. But I think it's okay for us to, in humility, go, actually, God, I, I, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with my belief here. 
but I'm owning up to my struggle with belief, and I don't want to put my unbelief onto who you are, so help me overcome my unbelief. I believe you, God. I believe that you are good. I believe that you are sovereign. I believe that at your spoken word, you can recreate anything as you first created it. I believe. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. That's different to living in unbelief. He lived in a position of believing, even with a deficit. Friends, I want to tell you, even right now, I'm living in a deficit. And so I want to, I want to tell you, so that you can understand this, that you can, you can it's not, again, it's not just a theory, it's something. We've got some people that are, are really believing a Kiara won't have to have a third operation. But for that to happen, it means that God has to regrow her skull. So that her skull bone, which is in her abdomen, doesn't have to be replaced. Theoretically, I believe that he can do that. Once upon a time, he created her skull in Jax's womb. I believe he can do that. But shucks, I'm betting to believe he can do that. Because I feel like he's already given us our daughter back. I've already got far more of her than I thought I would ever get. And so I feel like it's too much to ask of him. But that's the beauty of being surrounded by the body of Christ. Because there's some people who have faith to ask for that. And their faith is helping my faith. And they're praying for that. And I'm saying, thank you, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And every time you pray for that, I'm able to take a step further forward. Do you live in belief or do you live in unbelief? I want to ask you this question. What's your unbelief that's stopping you from coming to Jesus, trusting for your encounter with Him which will lead to your miracle, that will lead to the miraculous? What's your unbelief? Friends, own up to it. Don't put it on Jesus. Just own up to it and say, actually, God, I believe, help me overcome. I hear far too many times, I'm a pastor, I have been for 15, 16 years. I hear people say, but Richard, you don't understand my situation. May I say, that's a, friends, that's a statement of unbelief. I may not understand your situation. I may not understand everything you're going through. What I do understand is that Jesus has always been the giver of life and he's always overcome death. Therefore, if he can overcome death, he can overcome anything this side of death. And therefore, whatever problem anybody is facing, it's overcomable in him. And friends, him overcoming death is no longer a theory for me because I watched it take place before my eyes. And I want to help you. Because I get that you haven't lived through that experience. Some of you may have, but some of you haven't. And that's okay. Just overcome. Help, help me overcome my unbelief. But don't put it onto God that he can't come into your situation and give you what you need. Number three, Jesus sets this boy free. And he violently shook and he fell to the floor and he fell and he looked like a corpse. And people said, he's dead. And Jesus went and stepped forward and took him by the hand and lifted him up. In those days, if you touched something dead, you became unclean. You were defiled. So this is not just a case of, I mean, this was a, a significant thing. So when that boy dropped and he looked like he was dead, everybody took a step backwards. Jesus took a step forwards. And so are you one that views things through the lens of it's dead or it's alive? 
And tonight, I want to tell you that there are things that look like corpses in your lives that Jesus is just waiting to step forward if you will allow Him and open that up to Him. Marriages. Looks like a corpse. Jesus is just waiting for you to open it up so that He can step towards it. Relationships that look like corpses. Jesus wants to step in and heal. Those of you that suffer from a lack of health and you've just said, this is my portion, I'm just settling for this. I want to tell you, open it up again. It looks like a corpse. Jesus wants to step in and heal you. He wants you to take hold of Him as He wants to take hold of you. But here's the deal. It takes an act of thinking that it's, of, of this like, defilement. of this. It's, Richard, I can't go back there. It's too painful. It's too sore. You don't know what my husband did to me. You don't know what my wife did to me. You don't know what my teenager did to me. You don't know what my mom and dad did to me. You don't know what my boss has done to me. You don't know. You don't know. No, I don't, but Jesus does. And Jesus wants to heal your pain, and He wants to heal your hurt. And He doesn't only want to heal your pain and hurt. He wants to heal that whole situation. And so will you be defiled, if I can put that in inverted commas again, as you step forward and open up that corpse? Don't take a step backwards. Take a step forward with Jesus and allow Him to heal. Take a step forward with Jesus, friends. I opened with Psalm 116. I'm going to say something, and and this is is very dear to my heart, so I'm going to give you a little piece of me right now. Psalm 116, verse 6, it says this, God takes the side of the helpless. God takes the side of the helpless. Friends, if you want to know where there is and not here, if you don't want to be caught up in the arguing, but you want to be where He is, and so that you can encounter Jesus, I'm telling you it's on the side of the helpless, and the helpless on this land. We sit here largely as the privileged in this country. This is not a political speech, this is a a spiritual speech. We wonder why we're not encountering Jesus, friends. He's on the side of the helpless. We're looking at the lens of the South African government and we're saying, how can you spend so much money on social grants? You're dead to us. Friends, I don't know if you've ever known what it's like to be helpless. On Christmas Day, I was helpless. I grew up in a good family. My dad did exceptionally well. We never lacked for anything financially. I went to a good school. I managed to do well. I've been able to have an education. I have never been helpless. I've always had someone I could phone. I've always had some money I could find somewhere. I've always had a relationship I could turn to. And on Christmas Day, I had nothing in the afternoon. The doctors had done all they could do. They had done their last Hail Mary pass and, uh, and we were helpless. I could phone number, nobody. No money could do anything. No doctor could do anything. There was nothing. And Kiara was going backwards at a rate of knots as her brain was swelling. And there was nothing we could do. Helpless. Helpless. And I cried out to God and He was merciful. As I had no one to depend on but Him. Friends, there are people in this country that are helpless at far less than what Kiara went through because they have far less resource. And we sit as the church and we wonder why we're not encountering Jesus because He's on the side of the helpless. That's where He is.
last one out of this passage. It says, uh, Jesus didn't want them to know where he was because he went away with the disciples and he was teaching them. I hate being on the outside. I love being on the inside. I suffer from something called FOMO, which is the fear of missing out. And, and uh, so please don't not invite me to a party, Amy Wagner. Did that come out loud? <laughs> Happy 21st. So glad my daughter got to party with you. I've just had to realize that that's where my age category is. That uh, <laughs> my daughter's partying with you and not me. I hate being on the outside, not the inside. And friends, I feel like there are many people that feel like they're on the outside with Jesus. And I want to tell you that there are times where Jesus doesn't want people to know where he is, and he's, he's with his disciples, and he's having a time with them. But here's the deal. Jesus has had an open invite for everybody to come to him. And what you do with that open invite determines whether you're on the outside or the inside. And so tonight, again, you're able to position yourself on the inside by taking hold of Jesus. You're able to be the one that, is, that knows, that walks with him when he doesn't want anyone else to know where he is, that he's over there because he's having a moment teaching and, and being with and encountering in a smaller environment. You've heard the saying that uh, you know, it's, it's, it's said in a negative context in the job market. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And the reason is this world is relational. I, I'm an employer, and uh, I'd rather have someone that I know, not nepotism, but someone that I know, because then there's a trust thing. I, I can teach people what they need to do, but I'd rather have someone that I know. And there are far too many people that are spending all of their days trying to upskill themselves, trying to, trying to become better at something, and working, and working, and working, and working, and if you just spent half the amount of time building relationships as you did at what you're trying to upskill yourself at, I tell you, your community life, you would be on the inside, not the outside. Because here's the deal, friends. You can't work your way into heaven. It's who you know. So that whole who you know thing, actually it was Jesus' thing, not our thing. Jesus says you can't work your way here. It's, it's through who you know and it's through me, Jesus Christ. And so if you want to be on the inside, not the outside, if you want to have an encounter with Jesus, friends, may I suggest that you follow him. The beauty, of, the beauty of this father, this moment of the father, is he was on the outside. But that interaction with Jesus put him on the inside because there was a moment where Jesus confronted him and says, if I can. And that was, that was the defining moment for that father. That was the defining moment. How he responded then, I believe, determined the rest of the story. And he said, I believe. I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You want an encounter with Jesus, friends. Receive him as not just Savior, but as Lord. I've got written in my notes here, and it sounds a little corny, but your things are like fans and followers. Fans and followers. I remember one of my favorite 
rock bands growing up. I, I was never big into music, but I enjoyed music. And one of my favorite rock bands came out to South Africa. But I didn't know until too late. And all the tickets were sold out. And I remember being really bummed. And it was that moment that caused me to become a follower of that band as opposed to a fan of that band. Because I was on the outside and I missed out on a moment with them. Corny example. But that thing changed something for me. It taught me what it was to be on the inside and the outside. And so will you be on the inside with Jesus? Be on the inside with him. I think this story gives us incredible courage. I think it helps us position ourselves to, re to receive Jesus, to encounter him, to trust him for the miraculous. It's, it requires some things from us, and it certainly positions Jesus as who he is. And so just a reminder of the four things. Are you here so busy arguing about who we think God is, or are we there with him? Are we living in a state of belief or unbelief? And remember, living in a state of belief doesn't mean that we don't have a belief deficit. It just means we own up to what that is and we don't put that on God. So are we living in a state of belief or unbelief? Do we view things as dead or alive? I think that's the big one for tonight. I'm going to pray for us now, but I, I feel there's many people that you've got corpses in your lives. You've allowed things to die. You think they're dead. And Jesus tonight wants to raise them from the dead if you will allow if you'll take a step forward with him he'll do that and then lastly the invite is for everybody to be on the inside but how you respond to that invite determines whether you're there or not so can we stand together I'd love to just create a moment. We, we, we've just made a, a decision. We, we've just said, actually, we've seen too much of God over this past month. We've seen too much not to take hold of these moments and allow people to encounter Jesus. And so we, we're going to create a few minutes just to, uh, for people to encounter Jesus. Because, again, I don't know why you've come here, but I do know that context shapes how we receive things. And I, I trust that the context of being here, of listening to this word, of opening your eyes to these things, maybe encourages you to take hold of them. Maybe there's things that you have not believed. You've had a belief deficit, but tonight you've realized that you've put that onto God. And God would ask you for humility and just say, don't put that on me. I appreciate you owning up to your belief deficit. Now watch me do my work. So if you need to respond like that, I'm going to ask you in a second. I, I, I feel like this here or there thing is, is we don't always, for those that are visiting, we don't always call people out, but we, we just feel like there's something to that here. Like there's, there's the here or there thing. So this is not to put a spotlight on you, but I think it is something of a physical action that we can actually say, Jesus, I want to come to you. And so if you recognize the belief deficit, unbelief thing, I want to ask you to come forward in a sec. If you know that things are dead, I, I, I've got faith particularly, but uh, I, I, Jesus can do anything. 
where your marriage is on the rocks, where you feel like it's a corpse, Jesus wants to breathe life into it. Relationships. I've got, I've got massive faith for relationships. Relationships are broken. And I believe that God wants to breathe life into them now. If you'll take a step forward with Him, He will lift the corpse and say, rise up. I want to I trust with you for that. And then the third thing on, on that, just around dead or alive, have, have you just begun to live in a health deficit where you just, you've just accepted your health lot? I, I want you to try and allow our faith to help you tonight. I get it. I, I get that we've, we've been, some of you have been prayed for for years and nothing's happened. I get that. And so maybe you're, you're a little ginger to walk up here, but... But if you can allow my faith and those that will pray for you's faith to pray for you, give it another shot. View things as though Jesus can make them live and bring health into your body. And then lastly, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you're on the outside of community, you're on the outside of Him. Would you receive His invite today to say, actually, Jesus, I want to make you Lord and Savior. I recognize that it's you that positions me with my heavenly Father and no one else. I can't get there by works. I need you and I need what you did on that cross. Your death gave me life and I received that tonight and so that I can be positioned amongst the followers on the inside. If you fall into any of those categories, we've got a team that's ready to pray for you and and we're not going to wait until they're all done before I release you, but we are going to take some minutes to pray as a community in faith. So why don't you come to the front? Why don't you come to the front? We want to pray with you.